0: having dealt with people who have experienced or suffered an identity crisis, I personally take it very seriously. Back in the early days, I had struggled with that identity crisis when I was a teenager. Those identity crises in my teen years were painful moments. There were times of failure. There were times of distress. And that is why I'm extremely sympathetic with those who go through identity crisis. The one thing that kept me from completely losing hope is the two things that I knew that God loves me and that God has a plan for me. Even in the times when I could not see that plan, I couldn't even imagine that plan. I couldn't fathom that there is a plan for my life. Even in times when I almost gave up hope, And that is why preaching on a transformed identity is not a theory for me. It's not something I'm very dispassionate about. It's not something I'm objective about. It's my testimony. And that is why I love the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ so patiently worked with Peter in order to transform his identity. And then Peter, in turns, as he's feeding the sheep like he promised Jesus, he is trying to help us to transform our identity. Later, I learned that what Alvin Toffler said is to be true, that there are millions of people who are desperately seeking to find their missing identity. And God equipped us and brought us to this time in history so that we can help them find their identity in Jesus, because that's the only place where there's peace. I was uh, thinking about this, And I remembered a story from the first Gulf War. I know that young people won't remember that because it was back 1990. Remember the first Gulf War? Desert storm? There were armies from 50 different countries gathered in the desert of Saudi Arabia. A group of British soldiers decided to kind of on the day off to go out and roaming in the desert. But you don't do that in the desert. You get lost in the desert. And you lose your bearing, and that's exactly what happened. They kept driving around, driving around. They lost their way. They they lost their bearing. They didn't know where they were. And to their relief, they saw somebody in a fatigue who happened to be a four-star American general who was surveying the land. One of the Brits yelled out. He said, do you know where we are? Now, the general was so indignant. I mean, he was furious at those uncouth guys who did not salute him and did not call him sir. And in indignation, he said, Do you know who I am? Upon which one of the Brits turned to his mates and said, This is great. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) (laughs) And that is why I'm calling this particular message in the identity transformation from 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 12 the characteristics are really more like the privileges of having our identity transformed to Christ turn with me please to 1st Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 4 just to remind you we saw first Peter showing us the sevenfold blessings for identity transformation And then in two different messages, we saw all together a total of six-fold evidence of a transformed identity. And today I want to show you six different privileges, characteristics of a transformed life. And these privileges, these characteristics they come out of God's goodness. They come out of God's sovereign will. They come to us out of God's gracious act toward us. He gave us these clear characteristics when we come to Christ. As we've been seeing throughout this series of messages, our true identity comes from who we are in Christ. Our true identity comes from our connection to Christ. Our true identity comes from what Christ did for us. So look with me at verse 4, chapter 2, 1 Peter. As you come to Him, that is to Christ, what does that mean? It means that before we came to Christ, we were nobody. I don't care what the world said, we were nobody as far as heaven was concerned. Before we came to Christ, we were dead in the water. Before we came to Christ, we had no real Spiritual identity. And to put it in Peter's language, before we came to Christ, we were dead stones. And then the Lord breathed in us and He made us to be living stone. And here Peter gives us those six privileges of identity transformation. We become living and precious stones in that mighty building. We become a chosen race. We become a royal priesthood, then we become a holy nation. We become God's own precious possession. And finally, we become mere tourists in this life. First of all, the first characteristic, the first privilege that we experience when we come to Christ is that we become living stones, precious stones… I don't want you to miss what I'm going to tell you. It's really important, <laughs> because there are many people are confused. The only reason we as believers are precious in the eyes of God is because of the cornerstone being precious. Are you with me? Peter sees the elect of God from every nation and every language and every tribe as a magnificent building, as a magnificent spiritual building. In ancient times, of course, before the multi-story buildings and skyscrapers, the buildings, whether it be one or two stories, it was dependent on the cornerstone. So they go out, and they spend all of their effort, all of their energy, to finding a strong boulder in order to place it as the cornerstone. Why? Because a building is as good as its cornerstone. It can stand or fall depending on the cornerstone. Cornerstone was everything to a building. Uh, The cornerstone was laid at the intersection of the corner, and that's why it's called cornerstone. And then every other stone, foundational stone, that was laid next to the cornerstone is in relationship to the cornerstone. And then every other stone in the building, even, is chosen on the basis of its relationship to the cornerstone. Every single stone. But there's something else I want to tell you that I don't want you to forget here. Why didn't Peter say, we are living bricks? Some years ago somebody said, oh, Michael, well, they didn't have bricks back then. Oh, yes, they did. Many buildings used bricks. But he does not use bricks for a reason. He chose stones. You see, because bricks are all alike. Bricks have the same dimension. Uh, Bricks have the same shape. But God does not mass-produce His children. God is not in the cookie-cutter business. God does not expect you to fill the role of somebody else. God does not expect us to be all uniformed. No. And that is why Peter called us stones— Stones are all different from each other. They are different in size. They are different in shape. They are different in dimensions. With all of our difference, the master Builder shapes us to fit in a certain place in that body of Christ. You see, sometimes the master builder has to smooth the rough edges of a certain stone. Sometimes the master builder has to chisel the bulges in certain stones. (laughs) Sometimes the master builder has to chip away at the jagged edges of a stone. (laughs) Are you feeling the pain? I have felt that pain, and I dare say will feel it until I go home. (laughs) Because that is what God does to everyone whom he loves and everyone whom he wants to use. But we need to rejoice when the Lord does that, not to be grumbling and complaining like the people of old. No, no, no. We need to rejoice (laughs) because you are so precious to Him that He has to work you over. And that is why, beloved, listen to me. So many professing Christians stay away from the master builder. And that's why some professing Christians don't want to get close to other stones. Oh, man, they're so prickly. Some professing Christians resent the rightful place. They want something else or some other place. Some professing Christians don't want to fulfill God's purpose for them as living stones chosen by God. Some believers even try to minimize their contact with the cornerstone and with the other stones. Have I got under your skin yet? That's okay. I'm going to help you rejoice in a minute. It's all right. They may be some pain in the chiseling and in the smoothing over. But let me tell you something. There is far greater pain from running away from the master builder. There really is. Not only that, but a missing stone from a glorious building can only create a draft. (laughs) But if you are a precious living stone, then the next natural question is, am I fitting in my rightful place? in that glorious building, in that spiritual building? Am I letting the master builder work me over so that he may place me in my rightful place? Why are you running away? Are you running away? There are some who are refusing to be a load bearers in that building. Today, we have some professing Christians who are mere consumers. They may go to church for the entertainment value, but they never give of themselves or of the resources, because they don't want to fit in that rightful place for them. Which that means that you are balking at the first characteristic or the privilege of identity transformation. I pray to God, not a soul would be in that position. There are some Christians, some professing Christians, who say and I met some of them through the years uh, back yonder, I received Christ. As my Savior, I walked down the aisle, I signed a decision card, and that's it. Tragic, tragic, tragic. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a precious living stone, and don't you ever forget it. And you need the master builder to place you in your rightful place, and you must be willing to be placed. By the way, that's what it means to surrender. Surrender. We talk about surrender in a Christian life. That's what it means. They say, place me where you want me to be placed, where you have planned for me to be placed, so that I may be a blessing to others. You have responsibility to the cornerstone, Jesus. You have responsibility to other living stones. Responsibility to stand by them and they stand by you. Responsibility to support them, and they support you. Responsibility to uphold them, and they uphold you. Are the other stones perfect? Absolutely not. They are flawed, just like you are. They have their own quirkiness, just like you do. They have their own idiosyncrasies, just like you do. They have weaknesses and strengths, just like we all do. And so the first privilege of our identity transformation is that we are a living stones. The second characteristic or privilege of this identity transformation is that we are members of a chosen race. There are some people who are so proud of their race. There are some people who are literally making an idol of their race. But when you come to Christ, Your earthly race kind of melts into the wall, and you become a new race. The term chosen race in the Old Testament was a term that applied to the people of God of Israel. And here, the Apostle Peter, a Jew of very Jew, (laughs) lifts up that privilege that was given to Israel and he applies it to the believers in Jesus Christ. We are now the chosen race. In the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ, the elect of God from every nation and every generation, is the chosen race. Galatians chapter 6 calls them the new Israel of God. What is the reason for that choice of being a chosen race? What? What is the basis on which we are a chosen race? Listen to me very carefully, because it's the same principle, the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and the same principle, the answer to that question is the sovereign will of God. It's not because there were a great civilization that God called Israel. It's not because there were smart people, not because they were obedient. I mean, they asked Moses, they gave him fits. But God said, I choose whom I choose. I'm sovereign. I'm God. But here's the problem. Some of us don't want to accept this. Our pride forbids us from accepting this. Because we get to vote for candidates and place them in authority, we think that we can vote for God. And just as the candidates for our power and authority do not fulfill what we voted for them for, if they don't do what we tell them to do, we vote them out of office. So we think that we can vote for God. And when God doesn't do what we want Him to do, we vote Him out of office. (laughs) Listen, I thank God for democracy. I'll thank God every single day I'm in this great country. But not when it comes to our relationship with God. He is a sovereign God. And the quicker you come to grips with this, the more blessed you'll be in your life. When the people of Israel rejected the cornerstone, this cornerstone, Jesus, whom the Old Testament prophets longed to see, who prophesied about the anointed of Yahweh, the Messiah of God, what happened? According to Peter, God went ahead and chose other race made of people who are Jews and Gentiles, the believers in Jesus. People who have placed their whole faith in His Messiah. People who have complete obedience to the Messiah. People who have surrendered their life to the Messiah. Those people are now the chosen race, regardless of their physical descent. In the New Testament, the chosen race are the ones who have been adopted by grace. And that is why Peter is saying, beginning at verse 6, those who have surrendered to the cornerstone, Jesus, they are protected all the way until he takes them home. Nobody can touch you if you are in God's protection program. Ah, but those who reject the stone, the cornerstone, those who refuse to believe in him, that very stone is going to crush them living stones, chosen race. Thirdly, Peter said, the third privilege of a transformed identity is that we are a royal priesthood. Every man, every woman, every young man, every young woman, every boy, girl who surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, now they are priests in the service of God. But not just any old priest. (laughs) He says, royal priests… We see, when you come to Jesus and you receive Him as your Savior, you get blood transfusion takes place in your veins, takes your old blood out and gives you royal blood, for so you're royal now. <laughs> uh, what did the priest do in the Old Testament? He offered sacrifices to God, he interceded to God on behalf of the people. He spoke to the people on behalf of God. What is that in the New Testament? (laughs) What does a priest need to do in the New Testament? It's exactly that. (laughs) Because every believer now is a priest. We don't need priests in the New Testament. Every believer now has equal access to the courts of heaven, to the throne room of God. Every believer now has the privilege of interceding on behalf of others. If Jesus is your high priest, you are a priest. And because your Savior, Jesus, is the high priest, you offer sacrifice of praise, worship, and adoration to Him. You intercede on behalf of others. You are commissioned to speak for Him to the world. Our high priest, Jesus, did not only make it possible for us to become priests, but we become royal priests, because the King of kings is our Father. Amen. Amen. You see, in ancient times, when a king is looking for someone who's going to be the carrier of his signet ring, now remember this, the signet ring was the signature of the king. And so when he was looking for somebody to be the carrier of that signet ring, it was a serious stuff. It was an important, I mean, that's the most important job in the kingdom next to the king. And so he had to look very carefully, he had to look very thoughtfully, he had to find somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who's faithful, somebody who, who has integrity, full of integrity. Why? Because he will be entrusted completely by the king because he has the king's authority. <laughs> he has found favor in the eyes of the king. He speaks for the king, he signs for the king. Beloved, that's who we are living stones chosen race, royal priesthood. Fourthly, we're a holy nation. Thankfully, this holy nation that Peter is talking about is not like any other nation you know about or read about or hear about. No. It's a very different holy nation altogether. <laughs> Most nations are self-centered. Most nations uh, basically looking for their own interest. Uh, most nations are looking out for themselves, and it's uh, just a fact of life. That's not to demean anybody, but it's just it's a fact of life. But the holy nation that we are <laughs> is made up of people from every nation on the face of the earth. A Korean believer is a member of that holy nation. <laughs> a Brazilian believer is a member of that holy nation. A Middle Eastern believer is a member of that holy nation. An Israeli citizen believer, he's a member of this holy nation. And Peter is saying, verse 9, that every citizen of that holy nation, like their leaders, they are too are holy. What does holy mean? It means that you have been set apart exclusively for the use of your king. It means that you are set apart for obedience to your King. It means that you belong exclusively to the King. Your loyalty is to the King. Precious stones, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. The fifth privilege, a characteristic of those who allow the Lord Jesus Christ to transform their identity from whatever it is to being in Him alone, is that God's own possession. Actually, literal translation, treasured possession. In Malachi 3.17, God said, was talking about what is coming, and that how the kingdom of God is going to be made of Jews and Gentiles, of people from all over. And he says, these people are going to be my treasured possession. I want to ask you a question. What is your most treasured possession? Now am are talking real possession, here in this life. It could be a person, it could be your material possession, it could be your house, whatever it may be. You're the one who's got to answer that. All right? You answered it? Pencils down. Now think about how hard you work to protect that. Think about how much time you spend on watching over it. Think about the care you take in order that you may keep it and not lose it. Think about how you want to preserve it for the future. Now here's what Peter's saying. This is how God feels about you. You are his most treasured possession. Think about this. The God who owns the billions of galaxies they keep to be discovering every day and every week and every month, the God who owns the universe, He says, yes, yes, they're all mine. I control them with the click of my finger. But you are the one I treasure the most. You are the one that I will protect the most. You are the one that I value the most. You are the one that I guard all the way home to heaven. Now, I don't know about you. That rocks my world. That really does. It lifts me 10 feet above my circumstances. It lifts my soul. It makes my spirit soar. To know that I am God's treasured possession humbles me to the core leads me to love Him with all my heart, leads me to worship Him with all my strength, leads me to serve Him with all that I have, leads me to live for Him alone. I was thinking about treasured possession versus people who might not have any treasured possession. It's a true story about two men who were talking to each other. One of the two men actually loves rare books. I mean, he craves rare books. He treasures rare books. But the other guy doesn't. He doesn't care less about books of any kind. (laughs) And in the course of the conversation, the man who couldn't care less about books was telling the man who treasures rare books, he said, you know, I was looking in the attic of my ancestral home, and I found an old Bible, so old, I just gave it away. And the man who loves rare books was incredulous. I mean, he couldn't believe his ears. He said, oh, yeah, it goes back generations. It goes back generations. So I gave it away. And the man who loved these rare books, he said, I wish you showed it to me. He said, no, no, no. This is an old Bible. It's an old Bible. It's really very old, and it's not worth anything for anybody. Um, It was written by somebody named uh, Guten something. Guten something. I couldn't figure out Guten. He said, Gutenberg? He said, yeah, yeah, that's him. That's, that's the guy. And the man said, do you understand? A copy of that was sold for millions of dollars. That's a rare Bible. The man said, no, no, not this Bible. Because on the margin, there are all kinds of scribbles and notes by a guy named Martin Luther. <laughs> you are God's treasured possession. Whether you are aware of it or not, whether you know it or not, you are God's treasured possession. Living stones, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's own treasured possession. And finally, we are privileged to be tourists, sojourners, and travelers on this earth. This is not our home. We make the mistake of thinking this is our home, and we make our plans as if we're going to be here forever. No, this is not our home. We are travelers. The privileges that we have is that we know where we're going. But you see, in reality, every human being on the face of the earth is a tourist. Everyone. Everyone. But sadly, the ones who reject the cornerstone, those who reject Jesus, they're going to end up in a dreadful destination when the tour Is over. That's what breaks our heart, for those who refuse to place their faith in Jesus. Ah, but for those of us who love Jesus, those of us living stones, who are in love with the cornerstone, those of us who are for serving the cornerstone with all of our hearts, (laughs) those of us stones. Who are occupying our rightful place in that holy building? Not only we know that we are travelers and we are tourists and we are sojourners, but we know that we have a great home to go to when this tour is over. The question is: How should this impact your life? How? that make you deal with your problem tomorrow morning at work when you face them, wherever you are, the relationships and and all the storms of life. Thankfully, verse 11 gives us the answer. I don't have to come up with the answer. Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles, abstain from self-indulgence that wages war against your souls because... We are living stones. Therefore, our focus is on the things that concerns the cornerstone. Because we are living stones in that magnificent building. We spend our time in glorifying the cornerstone. We spend our time and our priorities and our focus on witnessing for the cornerstone We are concerned about what concerns Him. And that, my beloved friends, can set you free in whatever problem you're facing today. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, You are my cornerstone. And I cannot believe that I'm a living stone, chosen race, holy nation, royal priesthood. And Lord, now I want to surrender to the cornerstone, to the master builder, that he might place me in relationship with him and in relationship to him and in relationship to others. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way.